Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That Tech Show, the show that reveals the magicians behind the magic that is everyday technology. This week's episode, we have Steve Coe. Now, Steve and I have worked on many projects together and he's my go-to person when it comes to story-led copywriting. In this episode, we talk about all things creativity as well as Steve's journey working with the likes of Ogilvy, IBM and Vodafone. We dig into the process of building a website and its copy as well as what dead person we'd like to take to Mars. I really enjoyed talking to Steve in this episode as we openly chatted about anything and everything. So it's got a slight different feel to it this week. So enough rambling. Here is Steve Coe. And live, live. Yes. Here, Here we, we go. go. Why don't you give us a introduction to who you are yeah. and what you do? Brilliant. So I'm Steve Coe. I... Um, I've been called many things over the years. I started off as a copywriter. That wasn't the first thing I've ever been called in my life, obviously. Um, I started off as a copywriter <laughs> back in sort of 99 for a really hardworking creative studio. Obviously, the word was a lot different there from, you know, I mean, this was pretty much pre everything being on the web. So that, that was creating direct marketing and you know radio radio ads scripts for radio ads so, so so that's what I was back then what I am now is is very different I'd say there's a lot more strategy with what I do now there's brand development which I guess has always been in in the mix but brand development in terms of workshops helping every everything from startups to yeah big global brands to find an identity the copywriting or the content design, um, as I'm sometimes called a content designer, a UX writer, a, a content writer, the core of that, which is writing, still plays a large part, you know, so that's, if I'm, mm-hmm. I'm generally creating UX experiences, and so that's messaging told, storytelling told over many different user journeys on several different platforms and at the moment, I'm creating a new product, which is to allow organizations to capture their ESG reporting, which is the sustainability tax laws that's coming in. So that's like a new product with a heavy calculation aspect in there. So, so yeah, I'd say many things. I mean, I've, I've been doing this 22, 23 years now. So I've been lucky veteran. enough. A veteran. Veteran. <laughs> veteran. No, completely. <laughs> What was it that got your your juices flowing when it came to kind of writing? This is a it's an interesting question because I that that predates copywriting. It sounds like I'm going biblical and you know dinosaur age, and some days I do feel like a dinosaur. Well, the way I <laughs> phrase the question might might be the reason why I asked it in that particular yeah. way. So I do go on. My God, um, I had for some reason had always had a silly creative mind that would create uh short stories you know i'm going back to when i had a tape recorder you know when i was seven or eight years old and i was doing just almost improvised mini stories which were largely tilted towards kind of like a hammer house of horror tells the unexpected type vibe that might have exploded something in my brain in terms of storytelling and you know the mystery the the hooks which you know when I when when I think of writing as a copywriter as a content designer you need the hooks there to pull people into the story to use the story or the brand experience and you need to keep them there and you need to try to keep them there to sign up for a service or to buy a product yeah, so I I then went on to writing songs, and I then at the age, quite late at the age of eighteen found what I wanted to do because my first job was for IBM in nineteen eighty six, because my mum and dad said, "Why don't you go into computers? Because they're a thing of the future." Mm. What did they know? You know, yeah, I mean, didn't oh. take off, did it? No, <laughs> that you know that whole digital world, yeah. But when I was there, I mean, I, I, I remember saying I didn't really want to sit at a desk for the rest of my life. And I left there to 
become a plumber, which is the polar opposite of sitting at a desk, you know. I wasn't even sure if I wanted to be a plumber, yeah. to be honest. But around the age of 18, I found, well, I was invited to go to a, an amateur dramatics club. And um, when my friend who had been in Grange Hill and stuff like that, when he asked me to go along, I, w- I guess I was kind of a bit of a lad and the the lad bit was probably m- maybe more 60% of my character at the time. And I was like, no, that's not for me. And then he said, why didn't you come along and watch? So the next weekend I, I went along and watched and then I fell in love, you know, with, with this girl and that kind of, that hooked me into going mm. along. Then I auditioned and then I was given a couple of parts. Things we do, eh? Yeah, the things we do things for we girl. Do. Oh my God. But yeah, that I kind of, I, I kind of felt that a I really enjoy this, and b I seem to be okay at this. And so yeah, I'd be I I was there with a very good friend of mine for two years, and we said, wouldn't this be great? If we could do this every day. So then we went to college, did a, a BTEC national diploma in performing arts, and then after a year of there, I auditioned for one of the top drama schools. So yeah, so that that was that was my path. So I was in London, moved. For, away from south coast portsmouth to london did drama school for three years left got an agent did bits and pieces but then i after a couple of years of doing i had quite success with one fringe uh piece which was uh, critics choice in the guardian because the acting game's so tough you know they say two percent out of all actors are working at any one time and that's that's always the case so i needed a, a regular wage and luckily one of one of my other very good friends who's also from Portsmouth, he called me up one day and he said, well, I'm setting up an ad company and you've always written songs and stories. And I think you'd be pretty good as a copywriter. And so that was 1999 in Richmond, as I say, hardworking mm. studio. Every pitch we went for, we seemed to win. You know, we had uh, BT Sound, which obviously became O2, Hertz, Europe Car, Carnival cruises. Um, there were only about eight, eight of us, mm. eight to ten of us. And so, yeah, so that was yeah about twenty-two years ago. And and since then, I've been lucky enough to work for some of the biggest ad agencies, some of the biggest financial organisations, and then yeah, got to work with you on a couple of juicy product uh, products. And yeah, yeah. So that's that's pretty much my career life story. Do people know who you work with? Do they know that that was kind of your, that is where you have come from, like with the, well, the creativity and the acting and all that stuff? Not what I, I've written a blog on this. Um, I had to hide that because every interview I'd okay. go to, if I mentioned that, their first response was, well, aren't you going to leave us to go and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I knew that I wasn't. I mean, I might do if I went for an audition and I got an ad, but you know that the last ad I did was about three or yeah, lasted about three or four days filming total. So you could take that as holiday. But I had to just be quiet, even about the the other stuff, the script writing, which I have constantly done. That's you know that's my passion. Script writing and storytelling is my passion. And it's only I guess the last five to ten years when storytelling you see it everywhere. And and this is what my blog article was about. For the first time, I can now speak openly about, yes, I'm a script writer. Yes, I was an actor. And, you know, understanding text and language is huge. I mean, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have brought any creativity to copywriting or the campaigns or the product development. Because storytelling and language and analysis of character, which, you know, you translate that to the customers and the users they characters in the story so yeah I, I i it was sad but i but the industry's opened up and it's and I, i'm older now so I guess, I guess i've got nothing to lose i can look back and say well i did x y and z i worked for you know ogilvy and blah 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 but um i don't have to hide anymore but but yeah everyone's embracing storytelling and and brilliant because i think when when the whole and from an outsider, the whole the whole what we do can be seen as very dry and you know very boxes and arrows and you know. But if you if you give the lens of it's a story, 
everyone can relate to a story so whenever i look to sort of bring you on as well i just think automatically it's story-led you know mm. do your other clients know that or or are they looking for that kind of story-led thing or is that something you educate them on and, um... yeah it's a nice thing because a lot of them don't know they need a story and so when you introduce and you put position it as a story and the characters you know in your story are the audience and your business objectives are tied and weaved to that i think most clients are almost delighted it's almost like oh so we can have a bit of fun now and i think you know it's like anything isn't it with work if you can bring a fun element and it doesn't feel like work all the time then yeah you're on, you're on to a winner and the journey's a lot nicer i think do you do you find that on your side with yeah a lot of time actually you you might find this but i think a lot of people a lot of um <clears throat> companies they often think they know what they want mm. and they're you know take for example the the current job that we're talking about we're given this thing we're given this like copy that they think that's it they, they that's what they want just go and do something with that but it's it's often a case of actually educating them that mo mostly about the process because i think websites you've probably seen this going right from 99 to to now the, the website process is a lot more in depth now. There's a lot more that goes into it, not just because of the money, but because it's this security and things like that. There's just a lot more that goes to it. Whereas, whereas some clients, they, 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 they're still stuck in the past and it's just write a bit of code, stick it on a server somewhere and we've got a website, you know, yeah. so still finding there's a lot of education there. Um, you know, and we work with tech clients as well. You know, we work with tech. So you, it's surprising actually how little sometimes they actually know about the process and what actually goes on under the hood sort of thing. They know it's a bit of code. You know, they still think design and development are the same thing. You know, oh, I want a website. Well, we need to get you a designer and a developer and a project manager. You know, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, it, it starts adding up. So, yeah, still still um you know very few very few clients actually know the magic that goes on under the hood really unfortunately mm. um but like with copy i feel like that's a direct that's more of a actually uh, I'm, I'm regretting what i'm saying here but i was going to say <laughs> with with copy and content that's more of a reflection of them like it feels yeah. like it's their voice and what i was yeah. going to say about the story thing is the story thing a way of them detaching themselves from the product so much and it now belongs to this character in the story or something like that? Um, I'm just trying to think because obviously, as I just said, the client we're currently working on, you know, mm. um, they think they, they know what their copy needs to say yeah. and it needs to be representative of themselves. So by saying story, is that a negative or a positive when it comes to like having them go along with it basically or does it scare them off or is it it's never scared anybody off i think that yes yes it is uh, you know and you get you get all types then you get like the really hands-on clients who almost just want to write it themselves and you have to kind of i guess get into some dialogue to say if, if you think they're going off you know and becoming almost like and say a, a dry tone because they just want to be on the nose then th there's a bit of dialogue and explanation to why maybe you think they should edge back this way or or they sh they should pump a, a, a little bit more personality in you know that might um actually tie into their business objectives or you know some personas that they haven't thought of that they didn't know they needed but i think i've, I've never had any bad reaction to the story you know, it's interesting when you work for somebody who's creating their own product because it is their baby and they are very, very tied to it. But to be honest with you, I've, I've always found they kind of they want to come along and explore because it's their baby. They want to give it all the time and all the care. And, you know, they want you to to be the craftsman and to to take what they can possibly do or what's in their head and then bring new ideas and creativity and different angles and things they and i guess that's what they pay you for anyway isn't it that that kind of expertise 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'd hope, you know, um, mm. that they, they're, because they, like you say, often, often clients are very hands on and they kind of want to run the show basically. And they don't look at you as that kind of expert. So sometimes a yeah. bit of a to and fro in there, but you're right. You know, do you still get the same sort of kicks out of coming from like your past of being, you know, writing scripts and various things like that? Mm and horror stories you know <laughs> do you get the same kind of are, are the same principles applying or do you think that that's like just where it started and just where you know your ability to write starts and then it's a complete different kind of side to your brain almost when it comes to writing for websites versus writing for you know your own enjoyment that the some of the rules are the same so I, I, I kind of, I still apply the, because when I was doing those t uh, audio horror stories on my tape recorder back in, oh my God, 79, 1980, whatever projects I come to, it's that kind of um, initial period of almost like improvisation in terms of nothing's off the table. You go blue sky, mm. have some fun with it, you know, um, and I think that that's probably always stayed with me that, you know, ne never put things in a box until you go through different adaptations or different, you know, refinements. And so that, mm. that kind of, I, I pull that in, that that's a natural thing. I kind of read a lot about script writing and I bring a lot of that in because that's, you know, the, the, the screenwriting world is about the idea selling in the idea selling it in in a word in a sentence a log line it's about characters what makes the characters different you know what's the differentiation of your mm. product so i started to look at the screen the script as a product it is a product you take it to can mm. pitch to five different production companies had interest from all of them and kind of saw the the similarities between a film being a product and what you need to do you because you, you need to sell that you need the marketing for that on top of that as as much as you do some, some of the things we've worked on the the um accountancy esg uh, project i'm on right now or just yeah create creating a, a website for hsbc global for example and you know high net worth and their retirement mm -hmm. journey and all the all the data intelligence mm. that goes goes to that. So when you say characters, who is the character? Is 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 the customer the character? It's a brilliant question because you can look at it two ways. Well, you, you could say that the the central character, the protagonist, is the product. It's it's the MacBook Air, and the mm. surround the surrounding characters could be sub products. You know the the earphones i've got right now um mm. but 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 the but the other people are the audience the audience they're speaking to they're also characters they're the they're your personas mm. they're your they're, they're your other leads in the story and there needs to be a relation mm. and a dialogue and communication and then you see when, when you look at it for me when you look at it that way then there becomes this natural story and i i like to um create story maps which is basically different personas and how they dial in to you know use an app um, they might be on it at a different time to landing on a, a, a tablet when they're on the sofa doing couch commerce at you know half past eight at night whilst they've got love island on in the background um and it's just mapping it to their needs and the business objectives and um yeah so do you, because I obviously I'm from what I'd call the other side of the fence in comparison to you, but do you have any similar processes or ways of working that kind of are almost identical to that when you sit down to? Obviously we do <clears throat> personas, you know, mm. they're important because you understand who, you, who you're talking to and all that lot. And we have this idea of like journey mapping, you know, mm. but uh, you know, this is more from like a UX perspective perspective and i guess that's maybe where that's coming from as well but it's just it's interesting from coming like coming from um 
having all these characters and stuff like this it, is this going on all in your head or do you actually surface some of this or all of this stuff to the clients like you actually tell them that they you know the macbook pro is the protagonist as an example or is this just all kind of going on in your mind and your and it helps your process along i kind of look at it like um buckets so i mm. need to i need to go off and research and i need to understand what the, the product is and that whole world that exists around that product mm -hmm. and the types that buy that then i do a lot of research and then create pictures of who those people are so i kind of know that that's sort of one bucket the next bucket would be right what do we need to what journeys do we need to go on with these personas so that would be understanding how to get them from a to b in a clean you know coherent way where, where there's enough detail where there needs to be detail but it's very light because yeah they they do say that we're all time poor mm. at the moment unless we really care and then we we will engage and go deeper and mm. then and then the last the last sort of stage after working with, whether it's with someone like you or, or a design or an art director is then to refine it and this is kind of where the craft comes in almost sit back look at the experience you've created then tweak and refine and um go into user testing and then you learn again you know so um yeah so i kind i kind of i have those steps in my head before any project ever begins yeah i guess my question was more around like does the client know that you're using a story to create all this are they are they are they are they aware, aware that you are looking at things in the same way that you would look at a film for instance or whatever that you have these characters and you know these arcs and various things like that i doubt it i doubt they are now if it's so, <laughs> my uh, my perception of this is now is like you're you you've got this wild colorful mind of like just create these characters and have them go yeah. through this journey and like all that lot and no one knows anything about it but it's just all yeah. this whirlwind of fun and creativity yeah. that's going on in your mind just to be able to write the uh write the narrative but it's that's my image of you anyway mm. yeah no that's great and and i think that's how i kind of function that's i need to bring the fun element um a hiring manager I did about four or five years at Vodafone, a hiring manager in my interview said, you know, things get very intense here. How do you deal with that? And I, and I sort of said, well, I, I need to pop up for air at times and have a bit of, you know, fun dialogue with people for five minutes as everybody does, you know, you kind of speak about what you did last night or, you know, I need that. I need, because nobody can just be head down nine to five you'd go mad wouldn't you i kind of need that color and story which might not even be related to the job but i just just say one thing i mean a lot of people that aren't in our our space they they don't know what copywriting is and in some companies they just give it to someone in admin or a, a secretary because they just assume oh they write they they can they type so they they can do them the messaging but what they don't understand is there's so much to copywriting there's the 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 different ways you can come at things that's the, the, the creativity the form the shape the editing the knowing of how to hook someone and why why would they be why would they have um an emotive connection how can you get that can can you can that could that person in admin take them on to a journey and be fairly confident they're going to go on to sign up at the very least or buy a product and um it's that that whole when we just talk about character and and the whole color that's like a big part of it for me because i've worked on campaigns you need to you need to come up with several different routes to to be able to even um, go on that journey, you need to you need to give clients several different options. That's typically more in more in advertising, 
which I'm let less in these days. For every product or every service has usually has a, a landing page. So you are selling to a degree. You know, there, there are promotional videos, you know, people need to convince people to, to come on their, their journey with them. So that whole create, creative side, I don't think when people who aren't in industry, they kind of don't appreciate the creativity that copywriters really should have at the core as much as their ability to, to write per se, you know. What, when you first heard the term copywriting, what did you honestly think it was? Well, being dyslexic, I literally thought it was something to do with copying, copy and pasting, or you know, mm. re- redoing something or whatever. So that's that's the truth. But yeah. my my uh, perception was, yeah, it wasn't creative. It wasn't. Um, there wasn't. A tr- it's weird because uh, you know, probably like yourself, my my perception of how websites are created similar to what i was saying earlier with with clients you know my perception perception of how websites were created was very different when i first understood the different roles like designer developer copywriter all that sort of lot so when yes i knew that they would write text for the for the for the website or whatever it is the service i didn't really know or think that anything more went into it there was there was a sort of sub um process in itself within the website process because you got yeah you know that sort of you know you've got the way to build a website but now now each these individual roles copy design development they've all they've all got their own processes within that to help them you know mm. construct or, or be able to do whatever it is they need to do so um yeah i sort of think it was roughly you know, writing text, writing copy. Um, but was I wrong? Is that is that incorrect? No, I think that would you would you be offended by that? <laughs> I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be offended. I um no, I th- I think that's fair. You know, there's a lot more, as I said, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's that's not too too mm. far off. Do you know the the origins of where mm. copy comes from, the the term copy or copywriting comes from no enlighten us mr storyteller mr storyteller <laughs> i'm a storyteller and my stories must be told <laughs> that's uh for those who don't is know that, that's as that musical Chris, theater coming out there it's actually a bbc i think it was a bbc sort of story um which used to pop up on bbc at sort of 5 p.m with a guy called christopher Lillycrap. <laughs> true true name and he'd have a, a guitar and um do all these european stories and yeah um the 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 well the term copy comes from about 1300 um is derived from latin and it was basically when way back then when they needed to make a copy of something you know uh they would literally just copy on a on a different tablet um or whatever materials mm. they, were, they were using back then. But it's also related to the publishing industry. So copy, the copy coming off the, the printing press, um, it's also mm. attributed to that as well. So yeah, there you go. So I was kind of right then, you know, yeah. actually the duplication, the copying of a thing. Yeah. But now in it, now the, now the term is not, it needs a new new term then. It needs a new word because it's not, it's a blank canvas. You're not copying anything now, mm. which I guess alludes to your other titles that you've uh, acquired over the years. Yeah. Well, there's, so I'm, I, as I said, yeah, I, I typically called a content design, although as I say, I, I do much more than that mm. now. So it's probably more brand and strategy as much as content designing, but, so a, a copywriter in, in the dictionary is a writer of, of messaging for advertising or promotional content, mm-hmm. a content designer. And I, I know there's a lot of um, probably people my age, they kind of turn their nose up at the term a content designer, but a content designer is someone who's tasked with communicating information in the best way possible. Um, someone who's expected mm-hmm. to be skilled in language, 
graphic design in all of my content design contract that's never been asked technical requirements yes i've done a bit of um html but not really i i kind of struggle with this because the placement of content and that thought of executing it in the best way possible i've always been doing that when i think back to the mm-hmm. the, the direct mail brochures you need to think of the journey of the messaging and its placement alongside imagery or illustrations iconography and taking them on the journey to call up way back then um uh, so yes there's the analysis yeah, yeah there's the research but then you'd always have to have done your research or w- along with the brief would be that research i i know there there is there's kind of semantics with it you know there's there's a, there's a gr- great approach that is applied to content design and that is the comprehension the the reading age you know and the the reading age as i might have said to you which shocked me um in the uk i think in the states as well is um eight around eight years old so yeah yeah you have to be mind flat so that yes there are platforms and you can paste what you've written and plonk it into those platforms and then it will give you a score but i think that you, once you've used that a couple of times, you kind of go, I know where it would score high and you don't really need to use it as much. So I think I've, I've worked with some content designers who sneer at copywriting or copywriters. And I'm just absolutely shocked because as a content designer, as it says there, language, the ability to create, to write, is, ma- is a massive part of your job. There was even even someone who said to to the client, that's not my job. I was just bewildered, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that how can it not be? That's veering off a little bit. Someone once said to me years ago, always be learning, always be keeping on top of what's out there because and and the tools and the platforms. Otherwise, you'll get Mm -hmm. left behind. So um, I don't think if someone said do that, if I didn't know how to do the Richard Branson thing, if I didn't know how to do it, then I'd go off. And I'd learn how to do it. I'd research. And I did that with content strategy. I was at a company and they assumed that I did content strategy. And I didn't. But I went home that night after saying yes. And I researched and studied. And then a week later, when it came to me actually having to do it, I could do it. And and then over years, I've just added to the content strategy knowledge but if i had said no oh sorry i can't do that then i guess my career wouldn't have have gone off to some of the the big organizations you know that being lucky enough to work for. Mm, yeah have you done that on your side that kind of what fake it till you make it type of thing like yeah. <laughs> where yeah. someone's asked for you and you just go away and just figure it out yeah yeah of course i mean it's 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 Less so now because I think a lot of people kind of want you just they don't want you learning on the job basically you know mm. so um, uh, we've I think we've found our niche which is which has helped put you know a, a, a sort of a loose box around what it is that we do so you know if someone comes to us for an e-commerce store not going to mm. touch that you know there's a lot of there's a lot of ins and outs to that yeah so but you know growing up learning and and, and, um, figuring this stuff out absolutely like i i've worked on a few animations um with um a company called uh, rathergood.com and they they've done some wacky old stuff yeah (laughs) um they did that um crusher advert and that like that song is like i love the moon because it is close to us that song (laughs) If you know that it was, it was at the birth of the internet age, you know, with yeah. flash and flash animations and stuff like that. But anyway, they need an animator. I knew, I knew after effects a little bit, but mm. they, they were working on a film that actually, um, Alan Partridge, Alan, Partridge, uh, Steve Coogan. Yes. Yeah. Who plays him? Steve Coogan. That's him. Yeah. So he was, he was in this, he's in this animation. He was the, he was the narrator. So, it was, you know, it was, it was big. It was an important animation. And I, I was like, yeah, I can do animation. 
and mm-hmm. ended up doing that and literally during days or when i needed to achieve something i would look at tutorials shout out video copilot um like we just figure out how to do this stuff and 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 you know all of a sudden then you're you're opening your mind to different types of creativity and stuff and actually yeah. you know putting two and two together now i look at websites and the animations that can happen on the websites and because mm. with with that with that film i really thought about well let's take for example there's a there's a dumpster truck that emptied out a load of bunnies into a grave it's a dark comedy yeah it sounds like one of my audio horror stories from the 80s yeah <laughs> yeah um but then i was thinking well you know actually i don't think they were dead bunny i think they were alive but i was like well they're going to be pooing so there's going to need to when as a dumpster truck rises up and empties them out there's going to be this poo that rolls out and dirt and all the rest of it and then dust you know thinking of all the little things that would happen physically like physics using physics as a as a um a sort of guide there and how gravity would pull it down and how things would bounce and flick off each other and stuff like that it got me thinking on on so many different levels when it comes to animation that actually in websites now it helps to just look at a website and think well how can we convey this story like what or this interaction what would make sense because animations that happen on a website can't just happen you know they need, they need to tell a story they need to communicate what's actually happening um yeah. as well as looking you know sexy and all the rest of it so you know saying yes to things um just getting getting down and dirty in in, in a new a new idea or a new skill and then seeing how that kind of plays out in my career like that's i att- i attribute a lot of my let's say success i wouldn't necessarily say it's success so much but mm. you know where i am today yeah i would attribute to that that very attitude just saying yes to things and trying new stuff and bolting yeah. it on to your existing skill set you know completely i think that i i'd hazard a guess most people probably do do that i mean if you think of like diy mm. a lot of people probably maybe they'd never paint i know paint is probably a lot easier but they'd not painted before or they'd not put um an ikea table together with instructions before but you do it because you think i can probably do that i mean the only thing i can think of that really spectacularly messed up was the brain surgery when they asked me could i do this patient and i said i've done brain surgery before mm-hmm. and unfortunately you yeah it. i realized, realized I wasn't very good at it so um that and the rocket science before you're in the brain or during <laughs> the brain um, surgery during yeah they realize. trusted me they just assumed i could during. do it yeah that's awkward isn't it yeah really so awkward. uh there oh. you go but um no generally yeah i obviously say yes to things i think i think i can it's probably a part of me already you know um that feels confident enough to go i go away learn educate myself mm-hmm. and keep doing keep learning so you don't feel that you're going to embarrass yourself and luckily that's never happened but one thing i have had and i speak to a lot of people about this so i i, I obviously fell into this industry and uh, many times i've been sat in boardrooms feeling like an imposter i shouldn't really be there me someone that's you know gone to drama school and you know, not really connected, is it? Um, doing Shakespeare and, you know, but I, yeah, I speak to people that have done marketing degrees, you know, they've gone on intensive day release from, you know, Ernst and Young and they've learned whatever area of marketing or advertising they, they ended up in. Um, but even they have imposter syndrome because I guess people, Whoever you are, you sit in a boardroom and you sit opposite these very intelligent or seemingly very intelligent people who know Mm. the ropes, you know, they know their thing inside out and they talk eloquently. And what I actually found out after many, many times ago and in that same boardroom was those people didn't know as much as you thought they did. They use a lot of buzzwords and you kind of think, oh, you've said that before. So... But yeah, the, I, the imposter syndrome seems to happen to almost everybody. If you 
had imposter syndrome? Um, it's kind of it's kind of strange because I think I've had a, a weird relationship with imposter syndrome because I don't know. I would I I would guarantee that I have, but I don't. I guess I haven't been crippled by it. I, haven't, I don't dwell mm. on this idea like. I I think my ego is just a bit too big. I just kind of go into it and and just yeah. not really care because only good can come of it. No one, you know, apart from probably your patient during that unfortunate brain surgery, no one's going to mm. die in our industry. Mm. So by just going for it and and you're going to learn something. No one's going to die and it's from experience has told me that that you will benefit from this, you know, in mm. time and all the rest of it. Um I would, I, you know, I'm half tempted to say that I haven't had imposter syndrome, but I, I just, mm. I have no idea. I really don't know. I can't, th I can't think of a time where, where I've stood up or gone into something thinking that I shouldn't be here. Yeah, I definitely thought I don't have the skills right now, but let's figure it out. Mm. But not, mm. I shouldn't be here, you know. So I, yeah. I've always struggled to know or, or to place where my imposter syndrome is or what imposter syndrome actually is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It might've been worse for me because as I say, I didn't train to be a copywriter. I guess I trained on the job, but the natural core skills were already there through songwriting, storytelling, script writing. They were kind of there. I had the creativity to apply that. And I guess being on the job was an alien, being in those boardrooms, and then almost having to talk about how you did something, because I I never did. You know, I think the first three or four years, I didn't have to talk about my craft. I just did the job. I did the campaigns, the different routes, the different messaging, the different taglines. But I never had to talk about it. And I think it was almost, I think, when UX and uh, working with UX has kind of came into play and maybe I was stepping into more financial and more digital projects that it became a thing that you had to talk through your work. And and I think early on I thought, mm, this feels a tiny bit awkward because I just do it. But yet several years on and, and doing it several times, I can verbalize with much more clarity what I do, what I think I do. Mm. did you have you read books or anything like that or now that you've sort of established yourself or that you've you're now familiar with a lot of things have you like read any books on copywriting or ux or anything like that or or ways of work or anything now that you've you know not stumbled into this role but you you know it didn't immediately pop up into your mind that you would be a copywriter or whatever have you read books or anything like that? I, this is going to shock a lot of people. I don't read very much. And people are thinking, wow. that's, yeah, exactly, exactly that exact response. And that's because... I mean, reading and writing is two different things, to be fair. So if you're yeah. working with words all day, you know, you don't want to take any more in, you know. Yeah. Well, but before I answer your question, I very rarely read. I've got a book sh bookshelf, two, yeah, two bookshelves. and there are about five or six books that I'm either 10 pages in that, that was two, 2002 or 60 pages in 2006, 2006. And the reason I don't read, and I know I'm missing out on some fabulous stories and it's something that's kind of on my list to start read, to start reading. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, to hear this, but it's because I always felt that when I was reading, I could be writing and I could be producing my own stuff which was generally either feature film, short films, TV series. And that's where I thought I would donate that time. In, to, but to answer your question, I've, you know, I've read stuff about David Ogilvy and his sort of journey, which, which fascinates me, you know, um, going and work with Quakers, leaving the industry. And, and then I think, I don't know how long he worked with Quakers on, on this remote farm for, but he came back to the industry, created Ogilvy and, you know, thought of the, the top five clients he'd like to work with. Ford was one of them. And then this, this massive explosion of Ogilvy happened and 
and the Ogilvy Way and, you know. So I've read stuff like that. I've read um, content strategy stuff because that, as I say, when I said yes, I thought I better go away and read now. It's time to read. So I've read, I've read, I've read a lot on SEO. So I've educated myself on SEO, um, but not not a lot. I follow a lot of people on Twitter that are in the copy content strategy space. So I I'm aware of what's happening there. It, I kind of I, if I read anything, I guess it's more stuff around where the industry where digital is going, digital experiences are going. You know, with uh, recognition. It, for the branches that might be left, you know, walking into a branch as soon as you get to the door, the the teller has got your details up on their screen, or you know, intuitive car dashboards that kind of um, have all the information about areas and danger spots and all that intelligence. So I I keep abreast of that, and then I keep abreast of sustainability and all the positive things happening there in that space because there's a lot of amazing uh innovation happening in that space so not reading dostoyevsky and um war and peace <laughs> no <laughs> no but like but like to to understand actually because you you figured out how to how to write for web and digital but it, it sounds like you've figured it out from your own processes and experiences whereas there's t- there, there'd be i'm sure there is you know same with any any topic there are different ways of doing things or different processes or anything like that you know to know if you're even doing it you know air quote correct you know or anything like that you you're not you're not into like reading about new ideas that are coming to the table in terms of copywriting or or how other people go about it that nothing like that oh well i get i guess i am from the the twitter the, the people on Twitter that I follow, mm. I'm, I'm aware of stuff like that. I'm more aware of, or I need and want to be aware of, where certain industries are going with digital, where where there are cost, customer trends happening. That's like a big part of your story. You know, the, the company I set up, HCO Studio, last year, we're kind of focused more towards finance and, and technology, aside from other areas like tourism and travel. But you need to be abreast of where where is the finance industry, you know, going in certain regions like Saudi Arabia and their 2030 vision and, you know, Hong Kong and all the political stuff happening there. But then but then the tech alongside that and, you know, it excites me to see that some of these developments happening with with tech and what that could look like. I love to envision pieces for clients where you. You show them, you know, five years ahead and then you work backwards. My brother works for an amazing company. They, they build parts uh, for, some, for some of the things oh, cool. that are going up on Mars. That fascinating. I mean, that is cool, isn't it? That, that really is. I, the future excites me. And yeah. space exploration, I think it's all kind of tied in. And, you know, we all love uh, a kind of Star Trek or a Star Wars and that, you know, what's out there mm. and black holes and all of Steve those. wants to live on the moon is what you're saying. Yeah. Or somewhere. A little or Mars bit, even. Yeah. Somewhere a little bit, um, a little bit warmer. Yeah. Possibly Mars. That, uh, <laughs> that, that's a, that's a question I was asking people about seven, eight years ago. If NASA said to you, okay, we're going to send you to Mars as one of the first hundred people, but you can only take mm. one other person. Who would that one person mm-hmm. be? Oh, you can't say me. You can't mm. say. Gosh, who knows? Maybe Elon Musk. So he might be able to figure out a way to get us back. <laughs> <laughs> but then he's probably going to be the guy to be the guy to take us there. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe for a bit of comic relief, Richard Iowardi. Yeah, cool. She wouldn't take him friends or family <laughs> or a pet. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean. Yeah, no. You want you want someone to entertain you, not to wind you up or you know mm. get on each other's nerves. You'd always need a funny Matt Damon because he's already done it, hasn't he? Matt Damon, he's been <laughs> up, he's been up there. It's just yeah, he had the experience. Matt, Matt Damon, could you read um, a book on how to tell jokes and then like how to be funny? Oh, 
yeah, how to be funny. And then I could probably bear living up there with you. But just for that experience, you take Matt Damon up there just because he has that experience in that film. <laughs> no, you know, it's not a documentary. You know, mm. you know, Martian is not a documentary. Mm. You know, that's not real. So he hasn't actually oh, really? been there. Oh, damn, damn. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you could take, uh, as, this is like a 1B um, in, in a test on if you were to go to Mars. If you could take a dead person mm. and bring them back to life, who would you bring back? I'm glad you added and bring them back to life because I don't want to take a dead person. <laughs> well, I don't want to take a, just a dead person up to... Mm. They're dead. What am I going to do with them? Um, Jeez. Probably some like Einstein or, you know, Stephen Hawkins or. Yeah. I don't really know. He wouldn't be much fun, though, would he, Stephen? The T Rex from Jurassic Park. Mm. I'd probably bring back uh, Lassie. Um, Lassie, the dog? Yeah, Yeah, bring, bring Lassie back to life. Or Flipper the dolphin. <laughs> they'd have, we'd have to find a bit of water. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of water. That, that he'd sniff it out. They, they can smell water, can't yeah. they? Yeah, send a few dolphins out. Oh, sharks there. with blood, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, so um, in short, I love looking at the future. Um, I thought you were gonna. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say in short, I love dolphins. That's what I thought <laughs> you were gonna say. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. It's funny how you say you you sort of don't read, but I know I know what you mean about like thinking you could be better spending your time and energy. You know, mm. similar to you know, I mean, it's the opposite way because it's slightly less creative. But with the football, some people love prefer watching football, but they have no ambition to play it. You know, yeah. I know it's slightly different because sitting on the couch and watching a team play and get very passionate isn't isn't quite seemingly not the best use for time but you know it's 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 just funny how some people choose to watch mm. and some people choose to play a lot of players i speak to they actually don't watch the football or they excite like keep abreast of it or whatever but yeah they they play football they prefer to play football so i kind mm. of it kind of makes sense but um yeah there's certainly i i, I recently got into reading and mm. um i i buy books now like one after the other sort of thing because i've sort of grown accustomed to it and i i was i think maybe it's more dyslexia than anything else but i just i just didn't like reading i would prefer if i sat there for, if i was sat there with nothing to do for an hour i'd prefer prefer to be creating something or mm. or doing you know just yeah creating something you know so i do get it you know totally but it's um it's been a nice experience to transition into you know a reader is that a, yeah and that do you, term? It, it certainly is a term adobe use the term uh, reader oh, um, of course uh do so do you are they physical books are they is it a tablet yeah. do you en entertain audio books i've tried audio but i feel like a book holding it and reading the words and you know feels like it enters my brain a bit more mm. it feels like it go it sinks in a little bit more you know plus it's it gives you the space to read as opposed to mm. a tablet where there's notifications you know there's distractions and things like that whereas if you've just got a book then you're sort of tunnel vision into this into this book you know yeah um audio books are the same but again to play pause you pick up your phone you know all of a sudden you see a notification or even just the screen itself is just you know light if you're reading in, in a in a dimly lit candlelit room as i often do mm -hmm. um but yeah so it's a physical book so that if if, if i was to recommend something you know it was it yeah would be to get a book read a book you know get, get a physical yeah. book um but yeah, I'm reading American Psycho at the moment, and that's uh, wow, that's good. That's really good, actually. That's kept me current. Like I've been, I've been blitzing through that, like just wanting to read it all the time because it's a very, very yeah easy to read, but also you know, interesting book. Yeah, I think that's the type of genre I'd probably look at. Um, sort of the dark, darker, thrillery mm. stuff. If I watch, 
I like watching lots of documentaries and a lot of world mm. cinema, a lot of world cinema, partly because I feel like I'm also having a holiday as, as well as getting into a, a dark, gritty story. But um, yeah, yeah, I think I probably probably would go that way, the darker stuff. Mm. Which is weird because generally what I create is comedy. So, um, mm. yeah. And I think you need that escapism. You need that. Yeah. I think there's some synergy there. Just, just very quickly to summarize with my writing head on. I think there's synergy between horror, drama and comedy. And for me, the reason for that is you're building to a moment. You, the comedy is building to a laugh. The 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 drama or the horror is building to a fright moment or a a, a dark revelation. So that's yeah. I've been I've been tempted by a horror, but so I just wonder how because when you're on when you're watching a movie, for instance, and there's like a you know a scare scene or a jump scene, I can't I can't get how that will translate into well you just open a page and say like, boo or something like you know mm. how do how do these jump scares how do these moments I, I guess it's more drawn out and more kind of painting a very detailed picture in your mind or something we yeah. can only speculate at this point but well it, no you're right I mean it's the same as the journey I talk about about hooking you in so you you paint the mm the world of, you know, the, the haunted house in the middle of nowhere in Scotland and, and the marshes around it. And you, you, you gradually pull you in. And then you talk about, mm. you know, the, the rickety train journey to that place of a lonely, you know, writer. And again, you're just, you're mm. getting all of these, this kind of the unsettled world being, being kind of thrown at you and then you're you're gradually being pulled in and yeah mm. i mean i i i kind of agree you'd think that it's hard but it's almost it's the same as a joke you know some people i've sat opposite on the train reading and they're laughing their heads off feeling like crazy people mm-hmm. and but it's just that interaction between you know what they're reading mm-hmm. what's written on the page and creates that emotive outburst mm. and um and so a fright moment for sure can can follow the same sort of DNA in terms of how you execute that. With comedy, you get a laugh. With scare, you get with with horror, you get a fright. Like from from your work that you do now, where where are the success? Where how do you know you've 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 won or you you've you know you've achieved your goal? I would say it's very different for different projects. So if I think of, I worked on the. Um, the Toby chatbot for Vodafone, I guess you would say you get wins. Well, the biggest win was an award. It won an award. So that's, that's validation. I think on other projects, you might see wins in user research where you've not yet. Yeah. Well, like focus groups where you have crafted an experience to the best of your ability and knowledge based on research and your kind of creative input. And then, if there are very few areas that people are having problems with, I guess that's a win. I think on other projects where you you bring a branding and, and brand development, if the client absolutely is over the moon or they love it, which I've experienced luckily quite a lot, their uh, reaction is validation enough. Um, they don't just like it, you know, it's like, oh. I remember the, the first the first time I really saw it in the flesh, which wasn't in a user research room, user inter- interview room, which is, you know, let's face it, they tried to not be doctored, but it is kind of a slightly unreal setting because they're working against time. They've got to complete certain tasks so that it's not completely real when when those um, those kind of hubs are set up. But a friend and I had created the uh, branding and the messaging for this new restaurant over in Florida. And um, before the restaurant opened, there were, each window was covered by our design and that design told the story of this new restaurant over eight windows. And um, we we were sat there on the day of, of them going up and we took, you know, photographs. Then we sat down nearby for for a coffee and we saw this couple walk past 
and they were absolutely enthralled by what they were reading. They were pleasantly surprised as to the type of restaurant that was going to be there. And I think it was the first time it kind of touched me in a way that I kind of thought, wow, this stuff really works, you know, because mm. most, of, most of the time things will go out the door, you know, things would have been printed. Some stuff would have been published and launched, but by then you're not really looking for it because you're on the next project and you're like two years on, you've kind of forgotten about that. So you don't really get the actual, mm. yeah. you don't get to see the reaction, but that I kind of thought that's validation mm. enough that this stuff really works can really work, can make a massive difference. And of course it can, you know, they talk about Coca-Cola wouldn't be anything without its brand. Neither, neither would, would, would many, but you know, it's, um, yeah, it was fascinating to see. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously you don't get to see the, you know, the fruits of your labor in, in such a organic way. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. I think that was a really yeah. good chat. Thank you very much, Sam. Always good to chat no with you. Always good to chat with you as well.